If you've got your Bibles, would you open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 11? For those of you that do normally come on a Wednesday night, you know that uh, we've been studying the book of 2 Corinthians, and it's been good. Two of us believe it's been good. It has been very good, and I've enjoyed it. You know, there's something great about going word for word through the, through the Bible, uh, through books in the Bible, because the Scripture says that all Scripture is profitable. It's all inspired. It's all God-breathed. And so when you believe that, you can go and take it verse by verse and not be afraid of what you'll find because you know that God put it there. And you're excited about it, and it, it gets, you, gets you, you know, something, something is there to edify you, to build you up. Uh, the Bible says it's useful for training in righteousness. It's useful for all of these things. And so we've come upon 2 Corinthians 11. And when I was praying about how to present 2 Corinthians 11 and and which direction we should take, you know, is interesting because uh, 2 Corinthians 11 kind of picks up on a theme that popped up earlier in 2 Corinthians, which was, and it's popped up a few times, that there were some, uh, some folks that came along that called themselves apostles that really came um, and uh, attempted to take over the church in Corinth, but they weren't sent by God. They were just kind of doing their own thing, and in order to take control, they really put down Paul and his fellow apostles. They, they uh, tried to, to manipulate and control, and it wasn't a good thing. So much of this letter deals with that very issue. And I understand that you might not hear that and go, wow, this is going to be a, a jump up and down stomping good time reading about this church getting corrected. And you're probably right. But uh, I, so I prayed, and I said, God, you know, I don't want to, you know, have you ever, ever kind of walked in on a couple of, sp- you know, spouses arguing? You walk in on the middle of the argument and you just kind of back away because that was, the, you, di- you didn't really want to be there. Sometimes when you stumble on these places in scripture, you go, oh, okay, I, I'm not there. I don't, I don't really, I'm not a part of this particular thing. Can I just back slowly away? But there's something in there. If the Bible says that all scripture is God-breathed, and all scripture is profitable, then there's something in here for me. And I believe that there's something in here for us tonight. One of the things we're going to hear about, if he's speaking to the church about these false apostles that have come in, about these false ministers, then perhaps tonight, yeah, we can learn how to recognize that, but we can also learn to treasure when God sends the real thing. One of the, one of the things that we've got to guard ourselves against I met with some pastors on Tuesday morning. We met to pray out by the upgrader, some local pastors here. And as we prayed by, uh, by the upgrader, we just had a wonderful time, and uh, God did some cool things there. But we, in one of the conversations, one of the pastors said, you know, there was some things that were going on uh, in his church that he felt like it, it was a counterfeit of the real thing. And I, we all, we've all been there. We've all understood that's. You know, something try to come in and counterfeit uh, gifts or counterfeit uh, works of God. And uh, the, one of the things that counterfeit, um, counterfeits do is it devalues the, the real thing. It devalues the original. If you flood the market with counterfeit money, it devalues the, the, the real money. It, it, uh, it harms that, that credibility. It harms that, uh, the value of the real thing. And sometimes uh, when the enemy brings in counterfeits, it's not simply to use a counterfeit to control it and manipulate, although that may be part of it, but it's also to get people to just distrust everything. You know, if you've been born again long enough 
and you've been in a church that believes in the gifts of the Spirit, then at some point in your life, you've probably had somebody come up and prophesy to you, and it wasn't from God. That's a sad fact, but it's a true fact. I mean, if you haven't, you, you have a bubble around you that I'd like to, I'd like to borrow sometime. Because with every good thing that God has given, there's a counterfeit. Satan is not a creator. He never was. Never was a creator. He's a counterfeiter, a perverter, a manipulator. But he never could create anything. And so everything that God does, there is a, a false counterfeit that perverts and tries to twist. But the worst thing for you to do is to see that and get so turned off by it that you don't want to have anything to do with the supernatural anymore. You don't want to have anything because you saw fake stuff and you saw, you saw counterfeit stuff, and so you just want to stay away from it. I know that's a temptation, but it's, it's, it's wrong. Don't let that happen to you because God's got good things for you. God created these things for good. Don't let the counterfeit steal from the real thing. And it's important that when we see these for instance, these false apostles that he talks about here, it's important that you don't let that scar your heart. Maybe you've been in a, in a church or involved in a ministry that, that, that wasn't really done with integrity or there were some things that hurt you or scarred you. I believe that God wants to heal those scars so that you don't go through life permanently crooked when it comes to ministry or churches because of that thing that happened to you in the past. I believe that for everything that the Bible says that when, when John the Baptist came, he prepared the way for the Lord, and he said, he echoed the words of the, uh, that was prophesied uh, uh, about this man that would come with the voice of Elijah, preparing the way of the Lord. And it says that when he comes, when this voice comes, it will, uh, he will make every high place leveled, and every low place will be, every valley will be filled up so that a straight path will be prepared for the way of the Lord. And I believe that if you've had these valleys in your life, these scars, these things that have damaged you, and maybe it was a Christian person that did it, maybe it was somebody that you trusted that did it, I don't believe that that should color your experience for the rest of your Christian life. I believe that God wants to fill up those places, heal the broken heart, heal the scars, cause you to regain your innocence again so that you can trust. I mean, it doesn't make you gullible. What the greatest, the, one of the greatest things about being a New Testament believer is I believe that God restores innocence to us. The scripture says that in various places in the New Testament that you would be innocent of evil. But, but watch what Jesus said. He said, I send you out a sheep among wolves. Now, if you're sheep among wolves, it doesn't just mean sheep and wolves have different tastes and they don't hang out together because they like different things. No, sheep are the, you know, the tasty entree for the wolves. The, the wolves aren't just saying, you know, why don't you try some of our things? I mean, it's not just a bad influence because then the sheep will go off and do things they, they weren't raised to do. The problem with sheep hanging out with wolves is the wolves want to eat the sheep. And so Jesus says, I send you a sheep amongst people that want to eat you. Oh, thanks, Jesus. I appreciate that. <laughs> then he says this, though. He says, be wise as serpents. Be innocent as doves. Wise as serpents. And the, the literal word in the Greek says it, it, that, that wise means to be crafty. And that's not normally a word we celebrate as a fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> but what he means is 
not that you are tricky or not that you're manipulative, but that you're not gullible. Do you know you can be innocent and not gullible at the same time? Isn't that wonderful? That you can be wise. The Bible says we're not ignorant of the devil's devices, but at the same time innocent, unscarred, that you trust, that you have faith like a child. And I believe that for you tonight. If you've been damaged, if you've been hurt, my prayer for you and my hope for you is that God would heal the scars and the wounds he'd bind up so that you can face the future with a clean and an open heart. And you'd be able to, as it says, in, uh, as we read earlier, that you'd be able to open your hearts wide. Not just to God, but he says, open wide your hearts to us, Corinthians. That you would be op- able to open your heart to God and to the people he sends to you. That's a big deal. So let's, let's learn from something tonight. As we go into the word, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, He's ended chapter 10 with talking about the difference between boasting in yourself and boasting in the Lord. The difference between commending yourself and letting God commend you. In other words, whether you're your own biggest fan or whether you let God exalt you in the proper time. So he says this. He says that this boasting is foolish that they're doing. But then he says, I wish you'd bear with me in a little foolishness. Indeed, you're already bearing with me. For I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. In other words, what we preach to you, that may seem like a strange sentence that he just said, but what he's saying is we taught you, the, the message we brought to you was to bring you to one thing, that was to bring you to Jesus. We preached to you, we betrothed you to one, that is Christ, nothing else. We wanted you to fall in love with Jesus. I've come to realize, and maybe you've realized this too, that every time you get up to preach, every time you get up to speak or to sing or to minister in any capacity, you are faced with the question, am I going to make people fall in love with me or am I going to make people fall in love with Jesus? And it's so important that you realize that the goal is that people fall in love with Jesus. And it changes how you preach. It changes how you minister. He said, Our goal was that we might present you as a pure virgin. In other words, you're not sullied by these other things. He says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray for the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we've not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you've not received, or a different gospel which which you've not accepted, you bear this beautifully. And he's not complimenting on them on how they bore it. He's saying you, you were just happy. You, you happily received people that came and preached a different Jesus to you. Now, a different Jesus, does he mean some other guy that was raised in another part of the world whose name was also Jesus? No, he's, it's, it's talking about this person who's claiming to preach about the same Jesus. But when you hear it, you go, that can't be the Jesus I read about. can't be the Jesus I've learned about. Because this Jesus doesn't match the Jesus of the Bible. This Jesus doesn't match the Jesus of the gospel. He said, this Jesus is different. It's a different spirit. It's a different gospel. And it said, you bear this beautifully. You were happy to receive this stuff. And he says, for I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. The literal... um, 
translation of that is super apostles. These guys that come along as super apostles. The apostle Paul and his buddies were just the regular folks. But we've come to you as the super apostles. What they came with was the gospel 1.0. It was still in beta. What we bring to you is the new improved gospel. It's better, it's flashier, it's shinier. The Apostle Paul says, I'm not inferior to these guys. I'm not going to make a fool of myself by being all, uh, you know, by, by puffing myself up and, and trying to tell you how great I am. But I'm not, I'm not feeling an inferiority complex when it comes to these guys. He says in verse 6, But even if I'm unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. Have you ever considered, when you've read the New Testament, and we've kind of put the Apostle Paul on a big old pedestal, have you ever considered that if he came and spoke at our church, he might not be the greatest speaker you've ever heard? You'd say, of course, I'd think think he was the greatest speaker because I'm so spiritual that I would discern, I'd go past the... uh, the words, and I'd go to the heart of the message. Well, good for you. That's awesome. Have you considered that when he stood up, there might be people that preach better than him as far as sounding good, as far as being entertaining or engaging? We always just assume he's the best, right? But there's a couple of places in the New Testament he clearly says, I'm not the best speaker. I'm sort of unskilled in this. He says, even if I'm unskilled in speech, because the super apostles, huh, They don't have a lot of substance, these guys. But one thing they can do, they can put on a show. And when they come to town, they can can entertain, they can engage. I don't know how they did it. I imagine if they did it today, there'd be nice lights and, and screen projections and all the good stuff to get you involved. But basically, he says, even if I'm unskilled in speech, I'm not unskilled in knowledge. In fact... In every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. We've proven that we know what we're talking about. Isn't it wonderful to at some point grow up where you move past a style and you move past merely surface stuff? You know, I know we all like different preachers, but can we move past the basic style of preaching and can we get to the heart of the matter? And he says, we proved to you that we knew what we were talking about. How did they prove that to them? Well, they probably proved it in their teaching, but as we read on, we know that the Apostle Paul proved it in the way he lived. He goes on and says this in verse 7. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? Now, he goes on. Well, we'll go back to this. Let's keep reading for a moment. I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. But what I am doing, I will continue to do so that I might cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they're boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Let's go back for a moment and talk about the issue that he brought up about them giving him money. 
Because it's a very important issue. He says, when I came to you, did I make a mistake by humbling myself so that you'd be exalted? Did I make a mistake not charging anything when I preached the gospel, not asking for any money? Now, the question here is, is the Apostle Paul saying that, a, that someone who preaches the gospel never should get any money? Well, obviously not, because he says the other churches were supporting him. So he was getting money from people. It's not just that the Apostle Paul was so spiritual that he went out into a field every morning and the Lord rained down coins into his pocket. God used people. But it was more important, and this is, very, this is a big deal, it was more important to this man that the gospel be preached without any suspicion than for him to get, get more money or get, get anything like that. The money was not the issue to him. It never will be. He wanted to preach to them, and he said, I wanted to preach it without charge. And one of the reasons for that was so that they would know that it wasn't about the money. Obviously, this was something they had an issue with. And so he said, I robbed from other churches to serve you. I, I let other churches pay my bills so that I could serve you. But apparently, these super apostles come in, and uh, they are about the money. That's a big deal to them. And now the Apostle Paul looks like, well, we just didn't give him any money because he wasn't worth it. You know, he just, he just, he wasn't, he wasn't the same quality. It's a crazy situation. But he's very clear in this. And, and I, I want you to know that it's all through the scripture that a minister, the Bible says, and we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago on a Sunday. We talked about Paul's letter to Timothy about what to expect in a godly minister, a godly overseer, a godly pastor. And one of the things he said was this, they must be free from the love of money. I, I told you this last time, some of you weren't here. I, I remember reading a quote by Billy Graham who said, if a minister can, can fix his heart, can get his attitude right about money, he says a lot of the other things come into line. And that's true. Because when, you, when you're out there for the money, then it changes the way you preach. It changes who you preach to. It changes why you preach. And we've got to be careful here because the, the big theme today is not to judge, is not to let ourselves be swayed by the outward appearance or the style, right? So it's also important that you know that just because a preacher has money doesn't mean he loves money. Just because a preacher doesn't have money doesn't mean he doesn't love money. You can't judge a man by that. We don't judge by these things. The Apostle Paul said, I've learned the secret of, of going without and going with much, right? So even in his own life, there were times in ministry where he had little, and there were times in ministry where he had lot, and he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, if I, if I take that at face value, that tells me that I can't judge the Apostle Paul when he has little as, oh, he must just not have enough faith. He doesn't have enough. Well, that's stupid. Or I can't judge him when he has a lot, saying he must be greedy. I can't judge a man's heart. I can't judge him by what he has. That's, that's, that's false judgment, isn't it? So what, what do we go by? Well, we go by the spirit and what's preached. We go by the truth behind it. And we are able to say, as, as he said, you know my lifestyle. You know how I've lived. You've seen my heart. You've observed my ministry. You know why I'm doing this. I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing it for you. So we can't judge by those things, nor should we. You can't judge by how well somebody speaks. Now listen to me. When, we, when we're talking about these flashy super apostles, 
on one hand, you got people that say if somebody speaks well, they must be sent by God. But then you can get in the other ditch too. And you can, you can start thinking, oh, those flashy speakers, they're all, they're fake. Anybody, anybody speaks well, they must be fake. They must be not the real thing. But I've seen men and women of God that are flowing in the gift that God's given them, and they speak very well. I've seen some of them that, that, that don't speak that well in normal life, but when they get up behind the pulpit, all of a sudden they can speak. And you don't judge them and go, oh, they're fake. They're just a little too good at this. So we don't judge by those things, nor should we. Because those are outward things. You don't judge a minister by what he has or doesn't have. You don't judge a minister by their, their supposed skill in presenting. You, you judge them by other things. And you let God, you, 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 as the Bible says, you judge after the spirit, not after the flesh. So he says this. Other churches were paying my bills so that I could be with you. And he said, even when we started to run out, the Macedonians. Now, how many of you, when you hear the word Macedonians, that's ringing a bell from a few weeks ago? You're thinking, we talked about them, didn't we? You know the Macedonians in chapter 8? The ones that he says were in a great period of affliction and didn't have much, but they gave a lot? So how embarrassing is this for this church? That he said, when I came to you and I was running out, the Macedonians, you're rich, you're, you're super rich compared to them. They came and met my needs. They came and supplied for me. Because obviously, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, those Macedonians knew something, that it was God that supplied what they gave. Thank God. Isn't it, wonderful? Isn't it hopeful to you? Isn't it encouraging to you that your job does not define how much you can give? That your economic situation does not define how much God can use you. Those Macedonians had been persecuted. They had been afflicted by by the world. They they had had the pressure put on them, but they didn't let that pressure get in them. And they chose, no, we're going to be a supply, both to the saints in Judea and to this Apostle Paul. And because they were willing, God supplied something for them to give. Now he says this. In other words, when he came to the Corinthians, he purposely didn't, didn't, didn't take up any offerings or anything. Not because it wasn't godly to take up an offering, but because he wanted them to know that he wasn't after their money, which was very important because these other guys were. Watch what it says about them. It says, they are false apostles, verse 13, deceitful workers. They are disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, if, if Satan were trying to win people over to his side by prancing around looking like Anton LaVey with a goatee and a pitchfork and the goat tail coming out the back and saying, I want you all to uh, join my church and say, Hail Satan, three Hail Satans. You don't think anybody would really join that, except for severely mentally disturbed people. You know, he's trickier than that. You know, when, when the enemy lies to you, <laughs> he doesn't say things like, you know, I'm the real God. You know, hell is the place that has all the fun. 
You guys are mature believers. You never fall for that. So what does it say? It disguises himself as an angel of light. And he says these guys are disguising themselves as real apostles. Don't fall for it. You know, the good thing about a disguise is it's only skin deep. Just for a moment, hold your place there. And I just want to read something to you from Matthew. Put a bookmark or a finger or something there so we can come back to it. But in Matthew chapter 8, this is what Jesus said. Praise God. Don't you know that uh, God loves you enough, Jesus loves you enough not to leave you confused, not to leave you wondering what's, what's real and what's not. Did I say Matthew chapter 8? Not quite sure why I said that. Please forgive me. We are going to go to Matthew. I think I meant Matthew 7. Yeah, Matthew 7, sorry. Matthew seven fifteen. He says, beware of the false prophets. What does beware mean? Look out for it, right? I'd like to go through life not having to think about this. I'll be honest with you. I would rather not have to think about it one moment longer. But the Master, the Lord Jesus, said that you need to beware of it. Not that you need to be obsessed with it. As I, said, as I said a couple of weeks ago, people that are obsessed with finding out the false prophets and the cults and stuff, they fall into their own deception. Don't let this be your obsession. Don't be obsessed with the lie. Devote yourself to the truth. And when you get to know the truth real well, you'll know the lie. So he's not saying be obsessed with it. Go to a Christian bookstore and buy 15 books on all the false teachings. Then go to YouTube and analyze every sermon that they ever preach. And then your eyes will light up when they say something wrong, and you'll write a blog on how wrong they are. There are those that have made this their life's passion. I can't find it in the New Testament that there is a gift in the body of Christ for somebody to spend their whole life finding the wrong things. We all need to have the spirit of discernment. We all need to know right from wrong. You do need to beware, but don't be obsessed with it or it will drag you into it. He says this, though. Beware. So you need to be aware. You need to be watchful. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So what is the goal of a wolf? As we said earlier, the goal of the wolf is to eat the sheep. So a false prophet comes to you in order to get something from you in order to in some way devour you. We'll see that later on in 2 Corinthians 11, how he talks about these false apostles wanting to devour them and and take from them. It's starting to become clear why Paul was so emphatic on the point that he didn't come to take anything from them, that he made such a point that, that he wouldn't even take any offerings from them just to prove to them that he wasn't trying to get something from them. And while it is godly and good for us to honor the people that God sends to us, for us to give, that's all all through the Bible. It starts in the Gospels and it goes throughout the New Testament. 
Even Paul said himself, he quoted Jesus and said, even the Lord Jesus said that a man who who is in the full-time ministry should make his living from the gospel. That's what he says. But he says in another place, but this time I didn't use my right to do that because I wanted you to know that I'm not after your money. And a true minister is not ever going to come to you to get something from you. He's going to come to you, or she is going to come to you to get something to you. Because it is God that pays the bills. Does this mean we don't give to those that God sends us? Oh, we absolutely do. But that's not why they come. And if they do come for that reason, we don't invite them back. (laughs) They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They're hungry, and you look like a delicious steak to them. Well, how, how God, am I going to know the difference between Jesus? How am I going to know the difference between a sheep and a wolf if they look exactly like me? Well, Jesus tells you right here, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles. And you can dress up the thorn bush and make it look kind of vine-like, but it still won't produce grapes. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. So take heart. This is why a couple of weeks ago on Sunday, we read from Paul's letter to Timothy, saying it's important. You, he talks about these false guys and these, these fakers and these, these ones that are preaching different things and are out for the wrong reasons. And then he says this, you know me. You know my life. You know the result of my ministry. And that pops up several times in the New Testament. In this age, we are so blessed to have such I mean, we can, we can get the Word of God in so many different ways. There are so many good books out there. There's good CDs. There's good DVDs. And I am so thankful for them. They've been a blessing to, to many of us, haven't they? And, you know, I, I understand that we don't have time uh, to every book we read to, you know, do a, a year-long study on the person's life who wrote it. I understand that. Nor do you need to do that. But it is a scriptural principle in the New Testament to know those that labor among you, to know the ones that preach to you, to know the ones that minister, to observe their life. I say that knowing that that opens me up to observation. But that's part of the price of being in leadership and being in ministry. Paul said, you've known me, you've, you've seen my life. It backs up what I say because you've seen me live it out. In Hebrews it says, You know these people. He says these ones that taught you. It says knowing the outcome of their faith. Observing the outcome of what they preach to you all the time. You were able to observe something in their life that backed up what they've been preaching all the time. So you know what they were preaching had teeth to it because you saw it in their life. Jesus says don't worry about these guys. Don't be be afraid of them. Because they can't produce good fruit. They can fake. They can, do the, they can do the speech. They can do the act. They can do the walk. They can do the show. But in the end, there isn't any good fruit from it. And that's how you'll know. He goes on. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians. 
He says, therefore, Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising, in verse 15, if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. In other words, just like Jesus said, their deeds will bear out who they really were. Again, I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish, so that I may boast just a little. What am I saying? I'm not saying as the Lord would. In other words, I, I'm, I'm going to get down to your level. These goofballs that came to you really pumped themselves up. They brag about who they are. And he goes, this isn't how God wants me to talk, but just for a bit, I'm going to talk to you like this. <laughs> I, I'm glad that he prefaces it with that. I'm not saying as the Lord would, but just let me boast for a touch. I can play the game. He says, as in, as in foolishness, because it really is foolish to brag on you when the only one we really need to be bragging on is Jesus. But he says this, in this confidence of boasting, since many boast according to the flesh, I can do that too. I can play. He said, if they want to play the game of boasting according to the flesh, I can play that game just for a little bit, just to show you that I, 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 the reason I'm not doing it is because I can't. I'll show you. I got reasons for boasting. He says this, for you being so wise. <laughs> little sarcasm, just a touch. Tolerate the foolish glad, foolishness gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you. Anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we've been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness, I'm just as bold myself. And he goes on, and, and we'll get into this next week, but he goes on and talks about, hey, I got reasons to, be, to brag if I wanted to in the flesh. But watch what he talks about these false apostles. And these are some signs of ministers that aren't truly, that don't have the heart of the shepherd, don't have the heart of God, that are out for their own thing. Watch what they do. These are great indications. And he says they just tolerated it, probably because these guys were so slick that they were taken in by it. But it says you tolerate it, in verse 20, if anyone enslaves you. So somebody that comes to you that's not coming from God, not speaking the word of God, but is coming to you as, as a false teacher, a false apostle, he says one of the things they're going to do, what, the things they preach, the things they do, it's not going to set you free, it's going to enslave you. It's not going to free you to serve God, it's going to control you to do what they want you to do. Anyone devours you. So we were talking about Sheep and wolves, right? What do the wolves want to do? They want to devour. They want to take from the people. They, the people are there to, to supply them. They want, they want to get things from you. And like I said before, a true minister doesn't want to get something from you. He wants to get something to you. He says, they devour you. They take advantage of you. They exalt themselves. So here's some great signs. Somebody comes to you and brings you slavery instead of freedom. Now, when I say freedom, I'm not talking about, hey, guys, let's just do whatever we want. Let's just, 
Let's just do whatever we want, whatever you feel like. That's not freedom, is it? That's not the freedom that the Bible teaches. This person is trying to get something from them, trying to devour them, taking advantage of them, exalting themselves. Now, this comes up quite a bit in this book. He says the difference is, he says they compare themselves with each other. He says that's not wise. They boast in themselves. They puff themselves up. I love, and I, and I don't remember the exact verse right now, but in the scripture it says this. It says that love builds up, but knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. What's the difference between being puffed up and built up? You might get to the same size, but if you're just puffed up, either you'll be slowly deflated or popped quite suddenly. Either way, it's embarrassing, and it's damaging. But when you're built up, there's a foundation there. So this, this, knowledge, this, this puffing ourselves up, eventually you get popped. But when you're built up in love and you allow God to exalt you, as the Scripture says, humble yourself before God. And it doesn't say, humble yourself before the Lord, and he'll keep his foot on you so that you're always humble. It says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you in proper time. In the due season, at the right time, he'll raise you up to where he wants you to be. You sometimes we're so falsely humble that we're afraid of the spotlight because we think that that means if there's a spotlight ever on me, it's not on Jesus. But Jesus said about you, that he has put you on a lampstand to shine and give light to all that are in the house. It's God that will put you on a stand so that you can shine. And you're shining not your light, but his light. You're a light giver. So it's, and, and earlier in this book, the Apostle Paul said you're a letter written by God, read by all men. No, actually, it says known and read by all men. So obviously, God wants you to be known and to be read. So if you're so afraid of the spotlight because you think that makes you not humble, you're, you're not able to shine like God's created you to shine. The difference is, don't climb or build your own little lampstand. Let God put you there. And he'll put you there at the right time. You know what? He won't put you there before you're ready. He'll put you there at the right time when you're ready to be there, when, when you're not going to you know, just to explode with the pressure that you're able to do this in his strength, not your own. Thank God we trust him enough. We humble ourselves. How do you, what is godly humility? Well, godly humility is different than worldly humility. Worldly humility just says, I'm small, I'm small, I'll always be small. Oh, don't look at me, I'm small. Godly humility doesn't focus so much on yourself. You see, godly humility doesn't stand up on the stage and talk for 15 minutes about how small you are. Because you know what? That's still talking about you. Godly humility knows that everything you are, it's Christ in you. Everything good is because of him. Everything you are, that without him you can do nothing, but you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Do you see the difference? Let's not, let's not adopt. Let's not read this and say, well, we just, need to, we just need to put ourselves down. No, what you need to do is lift Jesus up. And he'll, at the right time, he'll put you where he wants you to be. Oh, man, thank God for that. 
Some of you are called to, I mean, some of you are walking in what you know you're called to do. Some of you are saying, I, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do right now, but I know there's something else. And, and, and you're trusting God because you know that if you fight your way to that position, it's going to end badly. But if you let God do it, then the fruit will be in season. You know, fruit out of season, if it's picked ahead of its time, doesn't matter how good that fruit is, it will taste bad. But when it's ripe, when it's in its right season, it's good. And thank God. <laughs> so a false apostle will do these things. They'll enslave you. They will take from you. They will take advantage of you. They will exalt themselves. And they'll hit you in the face. <laughs> Probably not literally, because I'm pretty sure most of you would leave the church if that happened. What is this talking about? It's abuse. It's not the heart of the shepherd. Now, this is an apostle, but I speak as a pastor. That's what I am. We all have different gifts. There's apostles, there's prophets, there's teachers, there's pastors, there's evangelists. Those are just the five in Ephesians 4. There's tons more gifts that are, that are mentioned in other places in the New Testament. But those five ministry gifts, like in the church, the thing about those things is they're for the building up of the body of Christ, Right? And one of the things, like, I know who I am. I, I know I'm a pastor, and, and i got to take this seriously because the Scripture talks about these, these like, pastor is just a Latin, comes from a Latin word for shepherd. And it talks about these shepherds that shepherd the flock of God. But it says that they answer to the chief shepherd. Like, they're not the owners of the sheep. Pastors don't own you. They're there as a steward taking care of God's flock. Jesus is your great shepherd. And so I know as a pastor that I better treat the sheep good because i got to answer the guy that owns the sheep. And when I answer to him, I want him to be happy with me. I don't want him to say, you abused my sheep. Oh, God forbid it. I don't want that at all. I want him to say, you love them like I love them. And remember when John, in John chapter 10 when Jesus talked about a good shepherd and a hireling? And we talked about... These, these guys kind of being money hungry, trying to get something from them. Jesus said in John chapter 10, the good shepherd stays. When, when stuff comes to devour the sheep, the good shepherd stays, and he'll lay his life down for the sheep. And it says a hireling flees because he's a hireling. Like, the only reason I took this job is because it paid well. And so when things get hard, I'm out of here. When stuff gets rough, I didn't sign up for this. I'm just here, they don't pay me enough to deal with this. Because everybody's got their price. If you're, if you're in it for the, the price, if you're, if you're there because it's a good gig, it's a good job, and you're in ministry because, you know, it had a good paycheck or there was something that you got out of it, you'll run away when it gets hard. But if you're there because you've got the heart of the shepherd, because because you love Jesus and you know he loves you and he loves the people and he wants to love them through you, then you'll stay even when it gets hard, even when the wolves come. You'll stay because you've got his heart. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. These guys, they might have been fake, but don't let the fakes sour you to what God really has for you. Here we see this. Apostle Paul saying, we're not of those guys. You need, to, you need to ditch those guys. They're out to hurt you. And he says, you tolerated them. <laughs> What's, what does that tell me? 
We shouldn't tolerate that kind of stuff. We shouldn't tolerate that kind of ministry. Now, I understand that sometimes we get in one ditch or the other. Sometimes we're too tolerant, and sometimes we're just too critical. My prayer is that we would have the heart of the Father and that we would be able to accurately say, I know that God loves me enough to send people to minister to me that love me too. They're going to love me enough to correct me when I need it. They're going to love me enough to encourage me when I need it. They're going to love me enough not to always tell me what I want to hear, but tell me what I need to hear. They're going to love me enough to treat me as he treats me. You deserve that. More than that, Jesus deserves that. We are his. We're his sheep. We're his flock. And he loves you passionately. He loves you with an everlasting love. Don't ever doubt it. If you've been hurt by these kind of people, God wants to heal your heart. God wants to bind those wounds. God wants to smooth over the cracks. God wants to raise up the valleys and lower the mountains so that there's a straight path so that you don't spend the rest of your life judging everybody that God sends to you by those things that hurt you in the past, but that you can be restored to innocence. Not gullibility, but innocence. You don't have to tolerate somebody taking advantage of you. You don't have to tolerate somebody devouring you. You don't have to tolerate somebody hitting you and abusing you. Because you've got to know, and this is, this, is, this is what really gets down to it. You've got to know who you are. You're a son, you're a daughter of the king, and you're greatly loved. Did you ever notice, I've noticed this and it's hurtful, there's been a lot of people that we've loved and ministered to that came out of an abusive relationship and went right back into another one. And what changes everything is when they come to the realization they don't deserve to be treated that way because the Father created them and He loves them. You know, when somebody's abused, they tend to just go and draw abusive people to them somehow. But God can heal that. God can set you free from that. You got to know who you are. You're loved. You're cared for. You don't have to tolerate this kind of stuff. Nor should you ever, ever, ever allow anyone else to. God loves you enough to send people in your life that are going to minister to you in humility, in love, for the right reasons. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'll close with this thought. His first letter that he sent to these guys, he said this. Because he had been talking about, they were picking favorite preachers. And he said, you, were lift, you exalt one at the expense of another. And he told them, you know, guys, you, we, all, we all belong to Jesus. And all things belong to you. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. So why are you boasting in this preacher, that preacher, when we all belong to him? And he says this in 1 Corinthians 4. Let a man, in other words, let people regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it's a very small thing that I be, may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. 
I want to leave you with that thought. That a minister that God sends to you, the man, the woman that God sends, the man and the women that God sends to your life to, to preach to you, to minister to you, to bless you, to encourage you. And there'll be those in your life that He sent to correct and to rebuke. Here's how they should be regarded. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And ones who view themselves that way, fruit will bear out that that's who they are. They're not serving you, they serve Him. They don't, they're not out to get something from you, as I said. They're out to get something to you. Do we bless these people? When we have special speakers, do we say, you didn't come here for the money, so we're not going to give you any? No, because we also read here, it's godly to share all good things with the one that teaches. So they come and bless us. Man, we want to send them away super blessed. But I give you my word. I've never invited anyone to speak here if I knew that they were here just to get something from you. They don't come here if that's the case. Because that, that just wouldn't be very, very godly of us to, to let that in, would it? To let the wolves in, have their way with the sheep. We bless them. We send them away. We, we want to, I mean, we might be, not be the biggest city they come to visit. We might not be the ones that, that have, the, have the biggest congregation, but we want them to go away most blessed because we're thankful that God sent them. But I guarantee that's not why they came. And they'd come if they got nothing from you. When I was growing up, I said this to some of you a couple Sundays ago. When I was growing up, I grew up in a ministry family. And sometimes that really scars people. <laughs> sometimes they turn out kind of wacky. But I'll tell you what kept me. You know, I, people that don't know us as believers, whether they be unbelievers or backslidden Christians, sometimes you'll hear them say, oh, they're all just in it for the money. You know, I remember my dad going to community after community, these small places, that didn't give him one cent, and it cost him a lot of money to go. I remember one time we were at this community, and they took up an offering, and I was shocked because these guys didn't typically take up offerings. Should they? Yeah, they should have, but they didn't. We certainly weren't going to tell them to. They took up an offering. I thought, Dad, this is a breakthrough. Well, it was to pay for their carpet. <laughs> and we went home. <laughs> They, they, they were taking advantage of the fact that because dad was preaching, they had a bigger crowd. Take up money for the carpet. But I saw something in that. I remember thinking, dad, why do you keep going to these places? Don't, you don't even get a thank you. Why do you do this? And one day, I caught it. I got that same love that he had. And I remember feeling it and knowing, this is why he did it. He loved these people. Because God loved him. And I'll take you anywhere. You'll go anywhere. You'll do anything. You'll go through anything. Because God loves them. God wants them well. God wants them delivered. God wants them set free. So I want that. And I got it. So it doesn't matter how many people ever say, oh, those preachers, they're in it for the money. I knew better. Because I observed the life, the fruit of that man's life. And do you know what? God took care of him. God took care of my mom. God took care of us. Even when you went somewhere, God's the one that keeps the records. He's the one that writes the checks. He's the one that takes care of his people. So, yeah, we don't need to look to people as our source. God's our source. 
He's going to use people. Yeah. And I want to be one of those people that he uses. Thank God. Thank God. So, so never, never look at a man or a woman and say they have a lot. They must be after the money. You don't know what they've given. You don't know what seeds they've sown. Don't judge their harvest if you don't know what they've planted. But thank God. We, we don't judge by those, earth, those natural things. We look at the word. We, we, we have the spirit inside of us. And you know that that heart of the Father will be in all his ministers. And if tonight you're all ministers in different ways. Have that heart within you. Have that attitude within you, which was also in Jesus, who humbled himself, who emptied himself, took on the form of a bondservant, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him. God put him up where he needed to be and gave him a name which is above all names, that at that name every knee shall bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen. To the glory of God. Let's stand up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you love us enough to send godly people to minister to us. Thank you that you love us enough that you send us to minister to others. Thank you that you love us enough not to allow us to be devoured by wolves, but you loved us enough to guard us and keep us as your sheep. You're the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Lord, forgive us for judging anyone after the flesh by how well they spoke or how much they had or how little they had or any other of those factors. Instead, allow us to look at like you looked by the Spirit. Not after the flesh, but by the Spirit. Lord, we are so thankful that you've called us your own. That you've called us your sheep, your sons, your daughters. You set us apart for this purpose. God, we are so grateful. Lord, my prayer tonight, I know that at some point in life, we've run across counterfeit. And I know that sometimes it's so easy to let that counterfeit damage you and keep you from believing the original. Now, Lord, I ask if there's anyone here tonight who's been hurt by those that they should have been able to trust, who's been hurt by church or hurt by ministry, hurt by somebody that called themselves something that they weren't, would you heal that heart, Lord? We ask that you would heal that heart, bind up that wound, that they would be set free from bitterness, from that unforgiving thought pattern that keeps them hurt and keeps them damaged, that you would restore their innocence, their faith like a child, so that they'd once again be able to open up wide their hearts. Once again be able to open their hearts wide without fear, without scars, but like children, eagerly desiring the milk of like newborn babies. Lord, uh, 
you said that you'd take our heart of stone and turn it to a heart of flesh. That the hard heart could be softened again. Lord, we trust you and believe that this is your will, that your people would not go through life maimed and damaged because of things that shouldn't have happened, but that they would be well. You said that to make straight paths so that the limb that is put out of joint would be healed, not go lame, but be healed. So I thank God that there is, Lord, we believe in physical healing, but tonight my prayer is for that healing of the soul. That there would be emotional healing tonight, spiritual healing tonight. That we'd be able to trust again, to love freely and openly to receive with an open heart the Word of God so richly implanted in our hearts. Thank you for it, Jesus. I want you to embrace the love of the Father, the fact that He loves you enough. He loves you enough. You are not somebody that has to go through life continually going from abuse to abuse. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. You deserve, because of what he's done for you, because of his worth, because he's made you worthy, you don't deserve to be abused. You deserve that love that he freely gave to you. Receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.